Hi, I'm Ellen Sentier, the Heartful Badass Coach. Being badass is about being the real you, being strong, feisty, confident, knowing your own truth and walking it, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, with a heart full of joy and boundaries that really work. I learned how to be the real me through telling and writing stories, and now I'm a best-selling author as well as a badass psychotherapist and coach. I tell stories a lot in podcasts and blogs and in the coaching programs I do. Being authentic, living your own story, that's being the real badass you. And being real badass is being full of heart, caring. Because we've lived through all that shit, haven't we? So we know it in our bones and we really do truly feel compassion. So come on. Let's do some badassery. Let's change ourselves and watch the whole world change around us. Let's make our lives, our businesses and our hearts sing. Hi everyone, happy Friday. As ever, well no, not as ever because I wasn't last week, I was Thursday. But we are back to Fridays now. I set up a question, didn't I, for this one. Are shamanism and witchcraft the same thing? Sorts of answers from all sorts of people. But what you get today, of course, is my take on it, my experience. I've done lots of both. How does that work out? Yes, you know that I was born into the old ways of Britain, that that's what I grew up in. And they would normally, I think, be called witchy ways. But since shamanism has like been invented, which was back in the 50s, really, um, well, for Western people, then I feel that the difference is not very great. The word shaman comes from the Tungus, which is one of the North Asian tongues of the reindeer people again of northern russia now and it means one who knows now the name we call ourselves in britain is arwenith arwenith let's do that again arwenith a w e n i y sorry y double d double d in the old language in which is sort of like modern Welsh, double D is pronounced F, like TH. Now, Arwenis means spirit keeper and one who knows. Now, what the peoples, the indigenous peoples all around the world call themselves will always translate into that, into someone who knows and some form of spirit keeper. What do either of those mean? What does it mean to keep spirit? I do get asked this quite often. I have a cartoon brain, as I think you all know. So it does verge towards um, bottles of single malt whiskey occasionally. But I draw myself back from that because that is just me being crazy and daft. And 
I say, the one who is keeping the idea of spirit alive. Now, in Britain, this has been really quite hard, well, very hard work for the past thousand years and more, and pretty hard work for the past 2,000 years, and not totally brilliant, actually, for the past 4,000 years. We were really good, like everybody else in the world, during the Paleolithic. We were fine because the way we lived, it wasn't like modern life and we didn't have a whole set of rules and we didn't have a hierarchy as we have now. You have a hierarchy at work. I don't because I'm the boss and I'm the worker. So I'm everybody. Therapreneurs don't, in that sense, have hierarchies. But most people do. People in families quite often feel that they've got a hierarchy that, you know, maybe mum is the boss and, you know, dad might be second in the pecking order or it might be the kids who are next in the pecking order and dad's actually after the cat. That happens. But this pecking order idea, that's sort of, well, it's got very popular since Darwin. I have the privilege of knowing a little bit about that because I live near Shrewsbury and that's Darwin's town where he was born and there's loads of Darwin stuff all over it. Darwin, like many people, gets a bit mistranslated. He didn't actually ever say the survival of the fittest, for instance, and he didn't quite really say pecking order. He watched how families and how groups of animals work together, um, like a flock of sheep or a pack of dogs or foxes, or, or foxes don't go in packs, um, and wolves. But for many years, because we've got this sort of hierarchical idea that, you know, there's alpha and omega and everybody splits up between the two. We thought, for instance, that wolves had this hierarchical idea and that the omega, as it got, poor soul got called, was the lowest and bottom of the pack. Actually, that's not how it works at all. I know some people who've been studying wolves for, well, since at least 1990, if not before. And a couple of them have actually worked on the Yellowstone project of bringing wolves back. So they're pretty experienced. And they've really studied with them and they've actually lived with the wolves, not just sat on the outside with a camera. They've actually been there and actually even been sort of part of the pack. And in most cases, we've got all cases except one where um, the person started off with four wolf cubs. They are not the alpha. The human is not the alpha. One of the wolves is. And my friend who started off with the four wolf cubs, at first he was the alpha because he was having to show them what to do, show them all the things that mum didn't tell, mum wasn't there to tell them, you know, how to eat, how to work together, how to be socially responsible. Yes, wolves are very socially responsible. All of this stuff, 
And then he had to go away because he was asked to come to, I think it was Poland, and help them because they wanted to keep wolves there, but they didn't know how to properly safeguard their own cattle herds from wolves who might not have had enough to eat for some reason or another and so would come in and eat their cattle. So he was gone for, I think, a couple of months. He came back. He was a newcomer. One of the cubs had become the, it's not the boss, he'd become the decision maker. Another of the cubs had become the defender and the look after of the pack. A third of the cubs was the one who looked after everybody's emotional needs and sorted out when there was a bit of stress and friction between the wolves. And the fourth one was very good at sort of sorting out hunting and sniffing out where was a good place and looking after everybody that way. They all had jobs. He hadn't got a job. Who the hell are you? What are you doing joining our pack? You better be down there. You know, we'll tell you what to do. All of us, all four of us will tell you what to do for a while until you've got the hang of it. And we find out what your strength is. And therefore, what you do, what your job is in the pack. He's a really bright bloke. And he and his wife worked this out together. And they learned. And they learned from the each of them has a has a job and one might be the one who is a decision maker there will be one who's really good at guarding the pack and if there's a problem he'll be on it he may call for help but he'll be on it or she'll be on it it doesn't have to be the alpha is quite often a female at least as much as a male and the guardian can be a female as well there is the one who is really good at being auntie or uncle and looking after the youngsters when the decision maker, who will almost certainly be the one who actually has the cubs, therefore is often a female, or one of the others is busy. <coughs> That's quite often a male. There will be ones who are particularly good at hunting, ones who are particularly good at tracking, ones who are particularly good at finding out where the food is today. Now, the decision maker isn't more important than the guardian. And the guardian isn't more important than the decision maker. It depends what's needed. So, as you can see, there's a lot of difference with the, our idea of hierarchy and what actually is reality. Now, this has a lot of meaning in both witchcraft and shamanism. <coughs> it's one of the reasons why wolf is such an important animal in both. And often an animal who will be a familiar spirit, a guardian spirit, a guide, a teacher. Because they actually know how to live together socially. Wolves are extremely good at that. So actually are wild dogs and several other creatures who live in what we call packs, groups. They have a social way of living, which is not a hierarchy. It's a who does what job and who's needed now.
that works very strongly in witchcraft. And it also works in shamanism. We've come to think, and particularly since it's been really popular to go off to another country and learn their shamanic habits, you think, and read the books on it, you think, and learn, learn shamanism in that way. So we've tended to bring with us the baggage that we've already got, the hierarchy baggage that, you know, what pecking order are you in? Then there's been all sorts of more modern magic where, you know, you're the high priestess and you're the next one down and you're the next one down and you're the bright beginner who's just starting off. So there's been witchy cults or witchy groups, traditions, whatever you want to call it, who have this hierarchy, but they're modern. That wasn't how I was brought up. There was the woman next door who was amazing. She was, her profession was actually a midwife. That's what she did for a job. She's a very good one. She was a healer, understandably. She was very good at helping women go through the whole birth process. She was even very good at helping them get pregnant when they wanted to be or not get pregnant when they didn't want to be. There are all sorts of ways of doing that, old ways as well as modern ways, and not just abstention. And she brought you into the world, but she also helped you out when your time had come to pass. So she was midwife of the birth, of the babies, the birthing, and she was midwife of the death, the dying, the leaving. And we all used to get involved with that. Oh, from the age of about seven or eight, I was sort of say, hey, Mrs. Webber needs some help next door. You know, take Jenny and the pair of you go off and give her a hand because old granny's died. So granny needs to be helped across. Yeah. I saw dead human bodies when I was seven and eight. And it wasn't horrible and it wasn't shocking because we respected them. And we weren't afraid of death. We knew that one day we would get there. And so we learned the practices of moving on. How to help people move on. Now that happens again in the indigenous shamanism around the world, where it's practiced, not where you go for a three-week course or weekend course or a couple of lectures or something like that. That's a whole different ball game and not the same thing at all it is taught and it can be taught and it can be taught very well <clears throat> but be very wary because there are people there who teach it but they don't actually that's not what we call in their bones that's in my bones and my students who now continue the work in their own way, it's in their bones. They have immersed themselves in it. They are part of it. So whether we call it witchcraft or shamanism is a whole like, hmm, not sure. They're very useful labels. 
and saying shaman, people at least have an idea what you're talking about. They have an idea of what's going to go on. Maybe not a very clear one, possibly even not a very accurate one, but they will have an idea. I mean, when I say my dad was a Kilaruus, have you got the foggiest idea what he does? No, of course you haven't. It's actually Welsh, and it actually means a storyteller. And I think there are a couple of vowels in it, but it's the usual long Welsh word with lots of Ys and Ws and Ds and things in it. And you think, how do I do that? So he was also a shaman in that sense. He was one who knows. He was an Arwenis. And he was a Kivaruus because what he did best, what his job in the witchy tribe was, was storytelling. So if I tell you dad was a shaman, you get sort of, oh, well, you know, I've got a vague idea of what Ellen's dad did or what he was. And if I tell you he's a witch, you've got a bit of an idea, possibly not as much of an idea, actually, as you would have if I say shaman. But if I say Kivarowit, you would go, what? You know, have you got a cough, Ellen? Is there something wrong? <laughs> you can't talk properly. So here we go again with definitions. How do you define someone who knows? It's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. It's really like, how do I say what knowing is? Because knowing isn't knowledge. Knowledge is great stuff, and we learn it more every day. We're all learning stuff every day. You get a bundle of it when you go to school or university. But that's knowledge. And for me, if we're getting into the shamanism and things like that in the same breath, it's the people who go and study shamanism either a course or they go and study a, an ancient or indigenous tribe. So they learn about the tribe. They learn about how to do shamanism. And they may get some experiential work which tells them this is what you do. And they may get lots of ecstatic experience. Nothing wrong with that. It's fun. It's nice. But if they're placed in a position where they actually... When they've got to help somebody die, when they've got to help somebody heal who is injured in a car accident, been there, done that, what are they going to do? Are they going to look up in the book? Have they got a bunch of spells packed away in their head? One who knows the book and doesn't need the spells doesn't need any of that stuff. They're there and they're in tune with everything around them, including the poor person who's just in the car accident, say, and with everything that's going on around them. And they're in tune with their Toulouis, one of those weird words again, but I'm going to use this one, that they're Toulouis. T-Y-L-W-Y-T-H. Toulouis. Spirit team, I've been using that word a lot, so we can stick with that. 
and they've got their spirit team around them. So they're not working on this poor person who's had a car accident on their own. They're there with the team and with all the wisdom that they've absorbed over the years and with their sense of knowing. It's very hard to describe, but you can actually touch someone and know some know things about them. You don't even need to touch them to know things about them. And people will say, oh, we well, are just imagining that it's just because you like him or you don't like her or whatever it is. It's not. You know through things we haven't got any scientific measurement for as yet. We may do, but we don't have much at the moment. So we can't actually measure it. We can't, we can't actually have a set of words to articulate it with. Therefore, it can't exist. <gasps> well, it is true. That is a lot of what, how people are with things that they, you can't explain it. Therefore, you don't know it. That's not true. You may not be able to give the knowledge of it very easily. But you can know it. When I'm teaching, I have, you know what my brain's like. I have this lovely thing that I say to people. I say, you want to know what knowing is about? Well, if I threw a bucket of water over you, you would know you are wet. You would not need to read a book. You would not need a weekend course. You would not need to attend a webinar. You would not need a university degree. You'd be wet and you'd know it. Probably cross with me for throwing a bucket, throwing water over you. But you would know it. And you wouldn't be able to explain what that knowing was. In fact, go on, have a couple of seconds explain what wet is to me not about being wet what is wetness That's difficult isn't it there you are talking to a martian and then and you say you say oh it's this lovely tree i was sitting under a tree what's a tree go on two seconds what's a tree hard isn't it but you know what a tree is you wouldn't have the slightest difficulty in recognizing a tree when you go out to the park you go out to the countryside or anywhere even in a foreign country with odd looking trees there's a um bow tree um which is really weird looking but you'd know it was a tree which are one tree, which are very complicated. But anyway, you would know that it was a tree, even if it didn't look like an oak tree, which it doesn't. It's that. It's that that is knowing. Now, it isn't just that we know what trees are. We all know what trees are. But I know how to work with people. And I know who I can work with. And I know who I can't work with, too. And I know it practically by seeing their name. I will know it within moments of them, say, DMing me, or if we're on a call, I meet them in the street or the cafe. I will know within a couple of minutes. Yeah, this one. No, not that one. That one's not for me. 
and I won't be able to explain it to you, but I will know, and a lifetime of this, I know when I'm right. Well, I know when I get that feel and follow it up, that I am right. Now, you can actually teach people to do that. I do, to know these things. It's about following instincts. And it's about allowing your intuition to speak to you. But it's also about letting your feelings talk to you and not be overruled by your thinking, by your logic. The same logic, just take aside, you know, sit, sit aside for a minute. I want to hear the instincts. I want to hear the feelings. And I want to hear the intuition. And we'll bring you back in a minute. Because when it's not being, when they're not being shouted down by your head, by your thinking, your instincts and your feelings and your intuition will all have very good messages for you. But since about 1800-ish, we've been told that all that is superstition, that we can't have it. And again, since then, that sort of particularly made witchcraft bad. I mean, witchcraft really got put down from the time of the Normans. Before then, it wasn't too awful. But it actually has been put down since the time of the Christians, when the Christians first came here. Because, because why? Because all people on a magic path, witches, shamans, whatever you want to call us, we are all questioners. We don't necessarily swallow what's normal. We'll look at it and say, interesting right and what happens if sensor and we ask awkward questions and we don't believe just because somebody says so just because somebody's got umpteen degrees and alphabet soup after their name and that means uh they really know this doesn't it oh and you won't believe you just go show me when people are insecure that's a dreadful question. Show me. <gasps> Rabbit in the headlight stuff. And when people are controlling, that's a really dreadful question too. Because most of the time, if you get a question from a questioner like a witch, like a shaman, they won't be able to answer it. So you're not a good person to have around because you're not going to follow the rules. You're going to be an apple cart up tipper as I call myself so what is the difference between witchcraft and shamanism is the one or is this just labels for me I think it's labels and also something you may not realize but the sort of witchcraft I do is particularly related to the land of Britain because I'm very connected to the land of Britain. I was born here as well. That's not necessarily a prerequisite, but I was born here and I feel ultra connected to it. I love it here. There are other places in the world that I love, indeed, and that I've travelled to and enjoyed. But here is home. Here is where my heart is. So, the ways that I know are the ways of Britain. They work 
perfectly well with people who live in other places as well and people who've been born in other places too because I've worked with people from Australia and Africa and the Americas and uh, the Middle East and Australia and I haven't worked from anybody from the Far East yet um, but I won't put it past anybody for that and they are somehow connected to what I'm saying so they want it and they find it really helps their business because they learn discernment and questioning they learn to think for themselves they learn to work for themselves and they learn to work with their spirit group and everybody has a Toulouse they're just waiting for you to say hi to get in touch to connect so this is what I teach people is that you do that now we are very good at connecting we old witches of Britain are very good at connecting with our spirit teams so are the old real indigenous people of any country but the way they do it in Mexico say or the way they do it in Western Canada say won't be the same as the way they do it in Britain it really won't now I've traveled to quite a lot of places in my time and every time I go to a new land I'm just thinking now last time I went to Greece which I love one of the places I love the last time I went there and when I land I get off the plane it's sort of like uh hello I've come for a visit and I'm actually feeling that and saying that in my head and I'm feeling out because the energy there the energy beings, the energy of the spirits in Greece is not the same as it is for me at home. I'm thinking particularly of Crete because that was the last place I went to in Greece. And I like Crete. I love Crete. It's beautiful. And the energy is there. It's like, ooh, who are you? Whoa. And it's talking to me. And I'm there sort of going, hello, it's me. I'm from Britain. I'm, I like it here. I want to get to know you guys. I want to get to know all you energy beings. So I'm feeling that. And I'm adjusting myself to work properly with the people, the spirit beings there. As I do, when I go to the shop to buy some bread or some cake or a pastry or something like that. And no, I'm not going to try and speak Greek. Last time I went there, by the end of two weeks, I was actually not too bad. Provided I just speak it and don't try and read it. And I'm fitting in with the people there. It's the same. I mean, I love the south of France. I love the Pyrenees. I'm absolutely, totally. If I wasn't here, that is where I would be. But again, I don't go there being English all over the place. I go there and say, bonjour, je suis anglaise. Uh, mais qu'est-ce que c'est? Uh, ask them something. And I bring myself to, to, I'm going to use the word, I sort of shapeshift myself to fit with the land, the spirits that are around me, and of course, the people that I'm talking to. Because they're not like me either. They're different. Down there, they could be Basque, they might be Languedoc, and they are different people. 
And we are similar in that we are both human beings, but we're different human beings. And we're enjoying our difference. I love difference. I think it's great. I'm really keen. And we're enjoying that. But I'm not forcing my way on them. And they're actually not forcing their way on me because we're working together. And I always call in my spirit team. Again, I mean, I need them on the plane anyway because I can get air sick. So it's like, help, look after me. I don't want to be sick. And, you know, so my spirit team look after me and they have so far, touching wood, always managed not to make me sick. But I go down there and I've met Basque witches Basque shamans. I've been introduced to some of their old ways. I know them a little. And I know that they are not the same as what I do here. But we talk about it and they say, you know, you, you work with the goddess, la la la. And I go, yes, we actually do it like this. How do you do it? And we share our differences because the places in the land are different. Even in a physical way, the geography is different. The climate is different. The weather is different. The food they grow is different. And the energy is part of what makes that happen. So I'm connecting in with the energy of where I am. And my spirit group is helping me do that. And that is helping me be worthwhile to those people. So are witchcraft and shamanism the same? Are there different labels for similar things? Let's try that. Because they won't be exactly the same. It'll depend on which sort of witchcraft. Are you talking about Basque? Are you talking about Languedoc? Are you talking about Galicia? Are you talking about Britain? Are you talking about California? They're all different. They will have one thing in common, and this is something that certainly shamans and witches have in common. We respect the land. We respect Mother Earth and Father Son, even if it's Father Earth and Mother Son, as it is in some places. But we respect our planet and we respect our star, and we know that they give us life. And we know that there are energy beings around us and that we can communicate with these. It requires effort on our part. It doesn't require much effort on theirs. But it certainly requires effort and consciousness and focus on our part. And both witches and shamans know that it's worthwhile contacting these, contacting the beings that are not human the spirits of the plants, the spirits of the land, and the spirits of the, just the energy of the place and the powers that work there and enable the whole place to be as it is. And we know that we need that we can't impose our will on them. We may for a little while apparently accord to us really it's a little bit like saying oh there's a volcano going off let's stop it 
Hmm? Put plug in it. Not happening, is it? We can't stop the rain. We can't stop the snow. We can't stop the sun. And we don't have very much control of it at all. We have some control in the sense of we can help it. We can have the right sort of trees in a really boggy place that will soak up some of the water. We can have the right sort of plants that help produce lots of oxygen and will absorb carbon dioxide. But we can't do more than that. And shamans and witches, both of us, we know that we cannot control. And we do not wish to. We want to involve them and sort of say, well, look, I'm doing this business of coaching business people to try and get more connected with you so that you can help them and they can adapt their lives to help you, all the energy beings around us. And the energy beings like that because they like being contacted and connected with and talked to. And so they show me what to do overall in the basic pattern of my business, but also with every single client in every single connection, every single call that we have. And I go into the client call with what I know we've done, what I feel that would be a good idea that we went on to, but also with no expectations of precisely where we're going to go. I go in with my spirit team around me and say, right, give me the right words at the right moment, in the right place to this person. Do you know what? It happens every single time. So I'm going to leave you there with, is shamanism the same as witchcraft? And with the fact that your spirit team will help you be precisely where you need to be every moment when you're connected. And that will make your business flourish. So, bye for now. Take care. See you next Friday. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed that. Hope it pulled out some new ideas and new ways of looking at life, the universe and everything. And I'd love to know your comments, so do send them to me. Doing and being badassery is fun. It makes your heart sing. And that helps everyone. And it helps you put the soul back in your life and in your business. Business, when it's really working, is fun, full of badass reality and makes your heart sing. So let's stick all those rubbish old work ideas of toil and drudgery in the compost caddy. Let's recycle them into something fun and useful. That's what badassery is about, having fun and being useful. If you'd like more, get on my website, www.ellensentier.com. Sign up for my newsletters and check out my lives and vlogs. Let's get to know each other. Let's get together, have fun, grow your life and make your heart sing. Let's be real. Come on.
Let's light our fires. <laughs>